Well, good morning. It's great to be here with all of you. Um, it's always wonderful to get to preach God's Word. Um, it's a privilege. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to those who ran the United Way 5K with us yesterday. Uh, we had a group from church that decided to run it. And I know what many of you are thinking, who would run for fun on a Saturday morning, get up early to run at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning in their free time? And I understand that point. But in, in our defense, I think everyone who ran the race could agree the best part about it was we got free waffles afterwards. So um, definitely the best part. So if you ever get the chance to run a race like that, um, make sure there's free food afterwards. It serves a great motivation. It helps you get past that you know, the, the hardest parts of the race. So um, last week we were asking, or Andrew was asking this question, who will we follow? Who are we following? And this week we get to take a closer look at one particular disciple, that's Peter. Um, and the compelling thing about Peter's story at, at, at this point is that uh, he had just denied Christ right before Christ's resurrection. Not once, but three different times Peter denied him. Um, Peter had already been proclaimed by Christ through his profession of faith as the one on whom the church of Christ would be built on his profession of faith. And yet he had, in one way, um, betrayed Christ. He had betrayed his Lord. And now surely Peter is feeling the effects of his own sin and his own failure and we here can identify one way or another with this failure and with this sin that Peter has, right? We each, if you're a Christian here today, we've been called by Christ to follow him. We've been given works. And in some way or another, we've fallen short, have we not? You maybe can think of personal failures in work or in, with your family or maybe in some spiritual way. And it wounds you. It's, it strikes you in different seasons. It may humble you more um, than you care to admit, more than other times. And that's the point that we see Peter at in these verses today. He's fresh off this failure. And, and what, we, what we'll see is two things and two parallels that we're going to see in Scripture. Um, is one, that instead of running from Jesus and avoiding him, Peter runs to him. And Jesus actually seeks to help Peter in follow, uh, following Peter's failure in his healing and then also back onto the path of his own following of Christ. And so without further ado, we'll jump straight in. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we'll also have most everything up on the screen today. It's John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. I'll read, it says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped, and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we see here Peter and some of the disciples had gone out to fish. And one thing we need to remember is that they were, um, some of the disciples were professional fishermen by trade. So this wasn't like me, who's not a good fisherman, going out by myself at night trying to catch some fish. These are professional fishermen. And yet, despite their skill in fishing, they were unable to catch anything that night. Not until Jesus arrives on the scene in the morning. Now, Jesus had just risen from the, be- from the dead about a week prior. In chapter 19, we read-, read about the death, the crucifixion of Christ. We must remember that his whole ministry on this earth was leading up to this point. It was leading up to the cross. That was its climax. Um, all that he had done, all that Jesus had done was now culminating in this moment on the cross when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would give his life as a ransom for many. He would die in our place as sinners, even though he had lived a perfect life. And we read in 19, chapter 19, verse 30 of John, these words from Jesus as he dies on the cross, it is finished meaning that he had accomplished all that he had been sent by God to accomplish. He had fulfilled the prophecies. He had fulfilled the righteousness he was called to come and fulfill. And uh, everything that he had done was finished as far as what was needed to purchase our forgiveness and our right standing with God. We then read in chapter 20 about Jesus' rise from the dead as a sign that God had accepted Jesus' payment for us. And then that he was revealing himself to his disciples as he was here in this John 21 story to show them that he had come back. So what we see is his work for salvation had now been complete on the cross and he had come back to the disciples to send them out into the world to proclaim this good news to the world, right? The Great Commission, that's something I'm sure if you've been in church, you've you've heard that before. Now, back to our story, Jesus tells the disciples to cast their nets on the other side of the boat, and the result is astounding. After a night with no fish caught, they now have a net full of fish. It even gives us an exact number, 153. And in the midst of this, John, uh, one of the disciples, realized that this was Jesus speaking to them from the shore and directing them. And he relays that to Peter, and Peter, in his excitement, he jumps into the water to go see Jesus. He runs to Jesus, so to speak. So to speak, because he actually swims. But he runs to Jesus. He pursues him. At this point, I want to take, I mentioned that there's two parallels I want to point out today. And this is the first one. I want to take a moment to compare this encounter that Jesus is ha- or Peter is having with Jesus following his resurrection to the first time Peter encountered Jesus. And that reference is in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. You see, when Peter first encountered Jesus in this first encounter that he had, he realized Jesus' divinity. He realized Jesus' identity. And what does he say? He says, go away from me, for I am sinful. I am unworthy. And this is much like other encounters that we see from people when they first encounter God in the Bible. Remember, you may remember Isaiah 6, when Isaiah 6, the prophet, um, has a vision of God. And he says something like, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a nation of, of people of unclean lips. And he, does, he can't stand to be in God's presence because of his own sin. That's a much different reaction than what we see from Peter in John 21, is it not? As we already mentioned, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims straight to Jesus. So Peter sees the same miracle that he saw before in Luke 5. He's encountering the same person in Jesus, and yet Peter's reaction is not the same. And that's because Peter is different. Peter has been changed. Instead of turning from Jesus like he did before, he runs to Jesus. He now delights in Jesus, even amongst his own sin. Keep in mind that just before Jesus was crucified, Peter had denied Christ three different times. So if there was ever a time for Peter to feel ashamed to come into the presence of Christ, it was now. And yet, he runs to him. He runs to him. In one word, uh, one word Jesus says in verse 5 of this chapter, he calls out to the disciples and, and he says this word, friends. He says friends. In verse 12, we see Jesus, as he often did throughout his ministry, also eating a meal with his disciples. Who are the people that you eat a meal with? It's those that you're welcoming. It's those that you're drawing in. It's those that you're drawing near to. And we see Jesus do that constantly throughout his ministry with those on the fringes, with those that are sinners, he draws them in. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. What's the difference between a servant and a friend? A servant is there to fill a need, to take commands, to simply listen and obey. There's no aspect of delight or intimacy with their master. It's just duty. But a friend, it's different. You delight to know one another. You cherish one another. You enjoy each other's company. You see, Peter, upon his first encounter, saw Jesus as a master, not a friend. He saw him as a Lord that he was in guilty in front of, and he was right. He was sinful. He was guilty. 
But just like Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter six, I remember Isaiah sees God take away his sin. And in that same way, we see Jesus take away Peter's sin, as we already mentioned, on the cross. We saw that it was in the person of Jesus that his guilt was atoned for by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. Jesus took Peter's guilt upon himself. Jesus had made a way for them to be in an intimate friendship. This is the story of every Christian. Every Christ follower that there is, we go from seeing our guilt before a holy God to seeing that Jesus has drawn near to us. He has taken away our guilt. That's, you maybe have heard the word Emmanuel before. That means God with us. Jesus is someone that draws us in. There are many people in the world that see Jesus the way that Peter first saw Jesus in Luke chapter 5. They see him as somebody hard to please, somebody scary that we need to keep at a distance. Like a, Think of a fire. You can't draw too close. It'll burn you if you touch it. But Peter was transformed upon seeing the gracious love of Christ. We can see that love primarily upon looking to the cross of Christ. Think about these two kinds of people. First, the person that's hard to please. Um, in the church, it, it, some, I want to describe someone, uh, you, you've probably heard the term legalistic or pharisaical. It's always about there's something more you or I could be doing. There's always something that we can improve there's nothing is ever good enough. Everything is about duty, about trying to prove yourself. And I think if we're honest, there are many churches that are characterized that way. And there have been people that have been hurt by that kind of living. And maybe some of you here even have grown up in churches like that. And you've been hurt. Now, have you ever, have you ever encountered somebody like that? You can never live up. You can never, never please that person that's not somebody that you would run to in a time of trouble, is it? On the flip side, can you think of a person in your life that you would run to? Somebody who's gracious, somebody who's kind. They listen, they're present, they're not demanding, they're a joy to be around. It's like a breath of fresh air to be around them. Folks, that's what Jesus is like. At his deepest heart, Jesus is a burden lifter. He breathes life into us. His kindness changes us. He is a friend to us. Which way do you see Christ? Which way do you see Jesus this morning? Have you seen him as a friend? Have you seen his burden-lifting love primarily shown on the cross? Here's the truth. We, even as Christians, naturally revert back to seeing God as this harsh master that just wants us to obey rules rather than a dear friend that we follow out of love. Um, have you seen Christ this way? We must see him this way. We must see his kindness. How can we not? We must see his self-sacrifice. Do you remember this verse we spent, I was just talking to Andrew earlier, we spent you know, almost a whole year going through a book that was based on this verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If we have come to Jesus, if we are truly Christians, this is the way that we see him. He gives us rest. He takes on our burdens. He is a friend to us. Is that the way that you know him? Or do you see Jesus as a harsh master? 
that you can never live up to his expectations. Jesus came to this world to save, not condemn. Do you remember Jesus' response to Peter the first time when Peter was terrified? He said this, do not be afraid. He drew, even in Peter's lowest moments, he's drawing Peter in constantly. And what did Peter do? He followed him. He followed him. This is all that Jesus asks is that we come after him. We come after him. And we come after him because we are attracted to him, attracted to his love, attracted to his grace, we follow him, and then he, he reveals himself to us. He, he asks us to come. He is near to us. Um, I want to point out this verse, Ephesians 3.17. Paul prays this for believers in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth, depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love, that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's my prayer for you this morning. If we want to really know God and be filled with all that he is, we need to know his love. And it, it's something that God gives to us by his spirit. So that's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for you that feel far off. It's my prayer for our community is that we would know his love because that's the love that changes us just like it changed Peter. And just as it drew Peter in, it draws us in. So that's the first parallel I wanted to, to point out in this passage. And the second parallel is this. In uh, its verses 15 through 19 of this passage, we see that Jesus seeks to heal Peter and he seeks to restore Peter to his calling. So it says this, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Do you love me, he, he said. Uh, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. As, as I mentioned previously, Peter had just recently denied Jesus three separate times. And here we see a mirroring of that. Jesus now is asking Peter three separate times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, we may expect at some point after being betrayed by one of his closest allies that Jesus would give Peter a tongue lashing for his disobedience, that he would come after him, rebuke him. For it was surely disobedience from Peter, was it not? It was sin on Peter's part to deny Jesus. Remember what Jesus says about those who deny his name? He says this, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. The truth is, folks, Peter did deserve to be rejected by Christ. He did not deserve forgiveness. He deserved punishment. But as we saw in the previous example, Peter had come to see 
that Jesus had already borne all of his, bore all of his guilt, all of his punishment on the cross. There was nothing left for Peter to do to earn God's forgiveness. There was nothing left for him to do but to run to him, which is what he did. So what's, Peter's, or what's Jesus' point here? Is he trying to grieve Peter? Is he trying to sort of rub his face in the mud a little bit by asking him three different times, by badgering him, do you love me, do you love me? Surely not. We know this by Peter's own question to Jesus in verse 17. After being asked for the third time if he loved Jesus, it says that Peter was grieved, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Peter was right. Was he not? Jesus did know everything. Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knew that Peter loved him. And even we can see by Peter's actions that he loved Jesus, right? His affection was for him. So what was Jesus doing? What was the point that he was trying to make? And and this would be my answer. He was healing the shame Peter felt from his sin, and he was calling Peter back into his calling. He was seeking to restore Peter. You see, Peter did not need to go order this in order to be forgiven. That, was, that had taken place in what Christ had done for him. Um, he didn't need to go through some ritual or work or saying. No, Jesus knew the wounds that Peter's sin surely would have inflicted on him. And Jesus seeks to heal him. Let's jump back to Matthew 10, 37, which is um, right after Jesus makes the statement about those who deny him. He says this, The one who loves a father or mother, excuse me, more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Remember Jesus' first question to Peter, what does he say? He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus' question was meant to parallel exactly what happened when Peter denied Jesus. You see, in, th- in this verse, Jesus is saying, I must be your primary love. I must be first in your life. I must be primary desire. Nothing and nobody else, not our closest friends or even our family, can take his place. And that's what Jesus is asking Peter here now. He's saying, do you love me more than these? You know, there, there are split opinions on what the commentators say. Jesus is really asking whether he's asking Do you love me more than these fish? Or do you love me more than you love these disciples? Or do you love me more than these disciples love me? But I think regardless of what your translation is there, the same point comes across. Jesus is trying to get at this question. Peter, am I your number one affection? Am I first in your life? Am I valuable to you? And Peter does get to the point of being grieved, and surely it must invoke his thoughts of his recent failures in denying Christ. Don't you see, rather than getting to a point of forgiveness and moving on when there is still hurt, Jesus seeks to address Peter's disobedience. He seeks to help heal what's been broken, to bring clarity, to bring healing, and to call him back in. So often in our lives, especially as Christians, we want to get to a point of forgiveness, of appeasing our conscience, of getting back to sort of a neutral zone so that we feel okay with God. But so often the wound still remains. So often we still feel the effects of our own sin or the sin of another against us. But these wounds must be addressed for there to be freedom and for there to be closure 
And that's a part of what Jesus is doing here with Peter. Is there something in your own life, either from something you've done, from the sin of another against you, some hurtful situation in your life that still holds weight in your heart and in your mind? Has it been addressed in some way? Have you addressed it? Have you addressed it with others? Have you asked God about direction on that issue in your life? Um, there's a story I want to share. There's someone that I know in my own life that, that is a Christian. And when they were young, they were sexually abused by someone that they knew. And it scarred them for much of their life. It brought them shame. I'm sure it made them have thoughts about, was it my fault? Was there something else I could have done? Or later in their life, thoughts like, there's no way I could share this with anybody else. It might hurt that person. Um, it would show the weakness. It would unveil some weakness in my life. So they went their entire lives without really trying to address it in a deep way. Until one season of their life, they formed a deep friendship with another strong Christian friend. And eventually they shared with this friend what had been done to them. And this friend counseled them, prayed with them, encouraged them, cried with them, grieved with them. And this person was eventually freed from the weight that they were living under by the ministry of this person and by the ministry of God in their lives. You see, whatever you might be going through today, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. There's no weight. There's no sin that you've done. There's no wrong done to you that God cannot heal or forgive or rescue. Jesus has put all of it under his blood every bit of it, and he will give freedom. He promises it. Don't go on living under this cloud of shame, of guilt, of your own sin, of shame about the sin that's been done to you. You can have freedom today. That process can start today. Um, would you pray about it? Would you ask God to help you? Even in this moment right now, you can do that in your chair. You can pray and ask God you know, there is something here and I would like to address it. I would like to move on from it. Whatever it is, Jesus draws us in. Um, would you, could you tell somebody about it? Are you in a small group? Maybe you could share with somebody there or pa a pastor, Pastor Andrew and I um, will be at Next Steps over there. We would be happy to pray with you or talk with you. We'll have folks ready to pray with you after service. You can even go online and, and submit prayer requests as well. Um, we would love to pray with you. We would love to serve you and help you um, to start that process of healing today because Jesus desires to draw you in today. Um, and the next point that I really want to make out of this healing and out of this freedom, out of Peter's love for the Lord, what does Jesus call him to do? He says, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Out of his rightness with the Lord, out of his calling from the Lord, out of his healing, Peter is called to obey Christ and to feed his sheep. Remember, Jesus had told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, that Peter, upon his confession that Jesus was the Christ, would be the rock that he'd build his church upon on his confession. And, and Jesus is proving faithful in this promise. He is giving a charge to Peter to feed his sheep just as Peter had been fed by Jesus. You see that here in this, in this passage? He is giving a charge to Peter to feed his sheep just as Peter has been fed by Jesus. Throughout this passage, Jesus has been providing for his disciples. 
He showed them where to cast their nets to bring fish in. After they came to shore, Jesus gives them bread and cooked them fish. He ate a meal with them. The picture that's being painted here is that as we are fed by Jesus himself, we then feed his sheep. As we are encouraged by Jesus, we encourage those around us. As we are strengthened by Jesus, we strengthen those around us. As we're healed by Jesus, we take part in the healing of others. Um, 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, we comfort others with the comfort that we receive from God himself. He is the source of all comfort. It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, with the food I have given, go and feed my sheep. Now, Peter, he had a special office. He was an apostle. Um, A special office given him by God to shepherd this early church. And in the same way, God gives us, he gives us each works to work out in our own lives as Christians. It may be serving our neighbors, caring for them when they're in need, caring for a coworker and ministering to them when they are going through a hard situation, taking care of a parent that can no longer take care of themselves, taking a stand at work for Christ when it calls for it, having hard conversations about our faith with other people, encouraging those that have heartbreak, whatever the needs are around you, whatever God calls us to, that's where we're called to serve. And remember this, he, Christ, is the source of all comfort, of all joy, of all healing, of all leading, of all strength. And if at some point in our lives we have received healing and we have received life from Jesus, it will inevitably, it will produce an effect of overflowing to the lives of others. There's no doubt about that. I've heard it said this way. We are saved by faith alone, but never by a faith that remains alone. That faith will always be accompanied by works and by fruit. Because as the Spirit works in us, he will work, he will work the gospel out to every part of your life. Sometimes that may take place slowly, but he means for that to happen. But it will produce fruit of a changed life. And lastly, I want to end here. When following Jesus we will experience a self-sacrificial suffering. In verse 18, Jesus says this to Peter, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. You see, Jesus is foretelling Peter's death how Peter will one day be taken away just as Peter was and crucified. Um, Tradition even tells us that Peter was indeed crucified upside down because of his faith. You see, the Christian call to faith and call to obedience is a weighty call. It is a weighty call. It's not a call to an easy life, as many may believe. We can be tempted to think, I think especially in our Christian culture, to think that Christianity is just about believing certain things about Jesus about getting blessings from him and then I go to heaven when I die. And there's some truth in in the things I just said. But no, the Bible says here that uh, Jesus said this. He said to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. This death that Peter would die would glorify God. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we live this way, when we live out of healing, when we live out of love and delight for our Lord, we turn and bless others, we turn and take a stand for Christ, we turn and love our neighbors. Um, it doesn't, we, we can be tempted to think that the world will always be kind to us but because we are trying to be kind. That the world will love us because we are trying to be loving. And in some sense that's true. The world is okay with our good works as long as they're not attached to our claims about Christ, about who he is, about what he has done, about what he calls us to do. It can be a fearful thing to live a Christian life because we indeed are promised a life of opposition by this world. Living as a Christian, it can lead us to our death, even as it did Peter. That can be hard to see in our own culture because we don't see that face-to-face in America as much as other countries do. But it did for Peter, and it did for many other Christians throughout history. It does for other Christians in our world. But even in that death, our God is glorified. We, the world sees in that death that we are willing to give up everything we have in order to follow this God. And what's the reason? The reason is that God is worth it. God is worth it. And I'm here to tell you today that he is worth it. He's worth everything that you have. He's worth the closest relationships that you have. He's worth any sort of wealth. He's worth any job status, any sort of love relationship you might have. He's worth all of it. So give your life to him today, whether for the first time or for the, th- the thousandth time, I'm aware many of us here are Christians. And so would you lay your life out to him again, again? Our life is one of constant repentance before him. So would you give him your life again? And as he says to Peter here, follow me no matter where you're at. If you're confused, if you're hurting, if you're broken, whatever it is, that's his call to you. Come to me and follow me. And please, if you're here today and there is some sort of wound in your life, some sort of brokenness, no matter how small, I know I shared a story about sexual abuse and that can, that's a huge issue, but sometimes even smaller things in our life cause distance between us and the Lord. And he, does, he desires to close that distance today. So would you come to him? Would you come to him? Would you pray with me? Lord, um, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. We thank you that you've given yourself freely to us. That even in our failures, that you draw near to us. You welcome us in. Would you please show us today your welcoming love, your welcoming heart, even right now in this moment, that you'd be um, pressing your welcoming spirit into each person here. That you would reveal your love that changes us. That's what we want, Lord. We want you. So please do that. Pray that if there is someone here, anybody here that might be hurting or broken, 
You'd help them to come to you. You'd help them to reach out to others that can help to pray and to walk alongside them to help share their burdens. You'd help us as the Church of Christ to do that, to share burdens, to lift burdens, to weep with those who weep. And would you help us, Lord, in, in bearing our cross daily? It is a weighty call to be a Christian. It is not easy, but you promise that, that as we follow you, you will take our burdens. You will walk with us. You will shepherd us. You will not leave us to our own devices. You are a rock that we can stand on. You will build the house. So please come and do that work now. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.